Well, good morning. It's Keith Daly here this morning. It's uh, my turn to preach this Sunday. Actually, it was my turn to preach last Sunday, but a sudden unexpected event has occurred around the world that has brought disruption into our well-planned lives. But before we get started today, let's begin with a time of prayer. Father God, we're living in difficult times unusual times for us in Canada and Lord instead of being gathered together we're gathered apart we're gathered in our homes in our apartments and Lord so wherever we are this morning Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be present to give us wisdom and guidance and comfort as we step into your word this morning Lord we pray you'll bless it to our hearts and to our lives for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I said I was scheduled to preach last Sunday and we were preaching through the letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Last Sunday, Pastor Dale gave us uh, a message. He addressed the issue at hand with the coronavirus and how we are to understand God's sovereignty in all circumstances. Dale reminded us that Worry is ineffective and even sinful because it betrays a lack of trust in God's mighty hand to save. 2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so we should apply that to our lives uh, today and all the days ahead. But even during this time of great disruption all around the world, we're left with this question. What is the church's response during difficult times? Does the church quarantine itself and put its mission on hold? Do we step back from the mission during critical times? Or is this a time when the world most needs the message of God's redeeming love we Christ's church must press on perhaps even more so we need to be finding ways to demonstrate our faith and trust in God we have no need to hoard anything God knows our needs and God will provide what Paul is talking about in his this letter to the Philippians is the need to press on, even during difficult times. And Paul certainly was having a difficult time. He was in prison. The church was experiencing persecution, and yet the message of God's redeeming love needed to be shared, needed to be spread. And Paul was not going to step back from that calling. There's been a big gap of time in our minds, and our minds have been refocused elsewhere in the last few weeks, so a little recap is in order. We're going to be in Philippians 3, 12 to 16, if you have your Bibles ready. And as always with some of the texts of Scripture and the, our Bibles are broken down into different sections, this one begins with, not that I have already obtained all this, and sometimes we get a break in scripture in the text 
that begins with a phrase like that, and one of my favorites is the word therefore, and it makes us, our minds scramble to go back and find the context. Not that I have achieved all this, then what is Paul talking about? So we need a little bit of a recap. It's like those TV shows that provide a recap, uh, a flashback, so you can catch up with the story so far. So again, this letter is written from prison. Paul is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He could be facing death at any moment. Time is not on his side. Paul's focus has become finely honed to get clear messages out to anyone and everyone to encourage the new believers in as many places as possible. This letter to the believers in Philippi, and there's another one to the church in Colossae, another one to the church in Ephesus, and one to his friend Philemon. These are all called the prison epistles. Paul is more than quarantined. He's in chains. He's being threatened. And Paul says in chapter 3, he outlines his religious credentials, things that once were of great importance to him. Philippians 3 says, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. From a Jewish perspective, Paul's the man. He has all the credentials for being a proud man of the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee. Paul may even have been like the Pharisee in Jesus' story in Luke 18, where a Pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee stands up and prays about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Perhaps this was Paul, the old Paul, the proud Paul, declaring his legalistic righteousness. And from a Jewish religious perspective, he probably was. But now Paul rejects all of this. He disposes of all that he once held dear. And he now counts it as loss. It's no use to him at all. It's just not important. There's only one important thing for Paul to know now, to know now and that is Christ. He's narrowed his focus on one thing, knowing Christ. For that he has lost everything and counts his past and his credentials as useless. In Philippians 3, 7 and 9, he says, But whatever was to my profit in his past religious life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And this Greek word here, meaning rubbish, means refuse, garbage, dung. It's a demeaning word for something that was once held very precious. For Paul, then, this is a total rejection of his religious credentials. He's abandoning the past, and now his language changes. 
In Philippians 3, 8, 11, he starts to use future words. I consider them rubbish, he says, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to become like him in his death. I want somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's words now, his purpose, his mindset, and his life are now all future-focused because his past achievements and standing in the religious community now counts for nothing. Because for Paul, knowing Christ as the Lord is the only thing that matters. And now he declares, and I'm not there yet. So here we are in Philippians 3, 12 to 16. Having declared what he wants to achieve, to gain Christ, to be found in him, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, he now says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So Paul readily admits, even this close perhaps to the end of his own life, that he has not attained what he's pursuing. And he's pursuing Christ-likeness. But he will not stop striving towards that goal he says I'm not there yet but I press on Paul wants to reach the goal he wants the prize he's now in it to win it rejecting his former reliance on religious practices and legalism he declares I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me Paul counts his past life as useless because the event on the road to Damascus. Jesus called him to a new and glorious purpose. Christ had taken hold of him to call him to Christ's purpose, to fulfill the role he was called to do. And that goal is to complete the race that the Lord has set before him. In Acts 20, Paul again says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And in Galatians 1, he repeats his history. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But God set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
And in Ephesians 3, he says the same thing again. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul now has a new vision, a new mission, a new purpose in life, and it's not religion, it's Christ. For Paul now, his goal was to complete the assigned task, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul now had no, no longer any doubt about what his life was about, and he spent the rest of his life aiming for that prize. What is that prize? Well, when a winner, a race, uh, a runner wins a race, following the race, they are asked to stand up on the podium and they receive, they receive a medal. And great honor is bestowed on the one who has run the race successfully. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul again, using the same analogy, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Once Paul knew his purpose, his mind became totally focused. His was a calling. The goal was to get the gospel message of God's love and reconciliation out to the Gentiles. And once the goal was clear and the prize was in sight, Paul was in it to win it. Can we say the same about our lives? Are we as focused on knowing Christ as Paul was? Have we changed our life's purpose to make Christ known in our world? Are we in it to win it? Here we can take some lessons from Paul. Some may take their standing in the church, their years of service, their Bible knowledge, their baptism, all as Christian credentials. But Christ has not called us to those. Christ has called us to himself. We've been called to follow Christ into Christ-likeness. We press on towards that goal by finding the role that the Lord has prepared for us in the church and doing it. And each one of us does have a calling and a role to play in Christ's church. We're all called to be kingdom builders. There are no passengers on this ship. We're all crew. Again, in Ephesians 4, Paul explains this. Paul says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Lord has provided each one of us with specific works of service, suited to our individual calling. And in the pursuit of our calling, we press on towards Christ-likeness. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Have we yet attained Christ-likeness? Paul, at the beginning of today's text, states this, his position quite clearly. He says, no, I've not achieved this. 
And we're not there yet by any means. Paul said he was forgetting his past and pressing on. And so should we. Paul likens this pursuit to a competitive situation, a race, with a goal and a prize for winning. The prize we all want to hear on that day is well done, good and faithful servant. That's the prize. To receive the honor from the Lord himself that we finish, each one of us finished the task he assigned to each one of us. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by any work of our own. Yet upon being saved, each one of us receives a call to service in God's kingdom. And that work and that role is something that God has already prepared for us to do. There is a, God, a, a job in God's kingdom that has your name on it. Have you found out what it is? What can each one of us do to engage more fully in the kingdom work that we're called to? Each of us has a race set before us and each of us wants to win that prize. Where are you serving? Where are you deploying your gifts? How are you growing in knowledge of Christ? How are you growing in Christ-likeness? None of us has attained it yet. You might be wondering to yourself, am I doing what God has called me to? Do I even know what my calling is? Where do you begin? Where do you start? How do you restart if you've fallen away? There are lots of areas and ministries here at UBC that you can participate in. We have life groups. Groups of people who meet regularly in each other's homes to study the word and to fellowship together. Are you participating in any of those life groups? Are you doing anything beyond attending church on Sunday? Life groups are where we grow. Life groups are where you ask the deeper questions, where you grow in knowledge and faith, where you share life with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Being in a life group connects you to the rest of the body in ways that are not possible in the larger Sunday gathering. We are called to faith in Jesus Christ, and in that faith we are called to serve the expansion of the kingdom so then let us press on towards the goal. Our current circumstances cannot be an excuse to step back. The world needs people of faith today. Our community needs people of faith to be visibly demonstrating their faith and trusting God today. Now Paul wrote this letter from inside a prison when facing his own death. He was not giving up. He urged the believers and he urges us too to fully engage in Christ and his kingdom to attain the goal and win the prize. Paul was in it to win it regardless of the circumstances. Are you? Yes, these are very difficult times that we're in today and we will be for some time. But the church's response has to be, we will press on. Because there's kingdom work yet to be done.
Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the encouraging words that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, but also to the church in Uxbridge too. Lord, let us not be held back during these difficult times, but let us find ways to serve you and serve your kingdom amongst our small group of friends, in our life groups, and in the community at large. Lord, let us find ways and places to serve. By serving the community, Lord, we serve you and we serve your kingdom. Lord, bless each one of us here today, in our homes, sitting around the table, listening to the words from God. Lord, encourage everyone just to love one another and love your neighbor. Do not fear. God's got this. Amen.